perfect attendance in something. I ever had perfect attendance. There was a mom who was looking over her son's report card, was talking to a friend of hers, and she said, well, you know, I'm looking at this thing, and his grades, man, they're awful. His grades are terrible, and, and there's a note on here from every one of his teachers that he behaves badly in every single one of his classes. But on the plus side, he has perfect attendance, so, you know, he's, he's a joy to them. Maybe you're like the recently retired guy who left the office and said, you know what, if Facebook was a school, I would have perfect attendance. Yeah, could, could be where you are in the world of social media. My youngest son is looking for a part-time job, a little after-school job, and so I have found myself online uh, looking and working, trying to get some tips on finding a job in high school uh, in 2020 on top of that. And, and one of the things I came across in some of my looking the other day was a job posting. It was for a production plant, and they're hiring temp-to-hire jobs, some entry level that they hope would move into full-time. And, and it's $10 an hour, but then in the post it said there's a $250 perfect attendance bonus. Now the thing that went through my head is, well, how long do you have to have perfect attendance to get the bonus, you know? I mean, is it 90 days? Is it six months? Is it, is it 12 months? You know, is it, is it one of those things that you get the perfect attendance thing at your retirement party, you know? After 30 years of perfect attendance at Zelensky's Auto Parts, we would like to give you this half a week's pay from 30 years ago to say thank you for your time here. You know, perfect attendance is a hard thing to do, right? It just is. You know, things in life just happen. It's, it's hard to be at everything all the time. Things come up, right? Kids get sick. Uh, there's weddings out of town. There's surgeries that get scheduled. There's, there's broken down cars. There's camping out for Barry Manilow tickets. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things in life that, that just interrupt the ability for us to have perfect attendance. No matter how hard we try, we won't always get it right. So you might make it to work in perfect attendance, but you might miss your kid's awards day at school. Or you might make your kid's awards day at school, and then you might miss work. So try and try and try as we might, we won't be able to be perfect in our attendance at everything. It's just not possible. No one has ever been perfect. But that doesn't mean don't try. When it comes to your job, when it comes to school, when it comes to family events, when it comes to your yin yoga class, whatever it is that you have on the list, do everything you can to be there. Be, do all that you can to have good attendance in life. But no one has perfect attendance except one. There, there is one. There's, there's one someone that has never not been perfect in attendance in your their attendance was perfect in your life this morning, and their attendance will be perfect in your life tomorrow morning. Their attendance was perfect in your life yesterday, and their perfect attendance defines your existence. So what does that mean? And, and who is this perfect attender? The prophet Jeremiah is going to help us listen to Lamentations 3, beginning with verse 22. For his compassions never fail. Who is the his that Jeremiah is talking about? Talking about his dad? Talking about his, his grandfather? Talking about his boss? Talking about his doctor? Talking about his friend from the club? Is he talking about his favorite politician? No. No, Jeremiah is talking about the one true 
God, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Abba, Father, Yahweh. You see, all those other people, they're good and noble and nice, but they aren't perfect. Their compassions will fail from time to time. But God's compassions will not fail because of who he is. He is the one true self-existent God. He was, and he is, and he is to come. That sets him apart. See, when Christians use the word God, we're not talking about some random higher power. We're not talking about some potential supreme being. We are talking about the self-existent God who was and is and is to come. That is who he is. And because he is self-existent, his compassions never fail. His mercies never fail. His loyal love never fails. Why? Because he's self-existent. His eternal nature makes his compassions never ending and never failing. God was not made by anyone. God was not caused by anyone. And that matters. It matters mathematically. It matters scientifically. It matters practically, theologically, emotionally, spiritually. It matters in any other lead that you can put on the list. It matters. Why? Someone has said there's only three possibilities for the existence of something. Only three possibilities for why something exists. And here they are. It is self-created, it is eternal, it is created by something that is eternal. All right, so let's just let that sink for a second. For something to exist, there's only three possibilities behind it. It is self-created, it is eternal, or it has been created by something eternal. Those are the possibilities. So let's just apply that to us, okay? We did not self-create ourselves, okay? We have parents and grandparents and birth records at the hospital that, that prove that. Okay? And in and of ourselves, we are not eternal. Again, we have parents and grandparents and birth records at the hospital and funeral homes and cemeteries and death certificates to prove that. We are not eternal in and of ourselves. That only leaves one possibility, that we have been created by something that is eternal. The third option is the only one that makes logical sense. We're not even talking about making spiritual sense or religious sense or biblical sense or theological sense. We're we're just talking about logic here. Logical sense. Something coming from something is logical. Nothing coming from nothing is not logical. Nothing coming from nothing cancels out all the basic precepts and principles of science and logic. Something comes from something. And so that's why we as Christians, we graciously and we boldly proclaim that we have been created by the one true, eternal, self-existent God who was and is and is to come. And that God is not hypothetical, That God is not dependent on someone or something else. He alone, his loyal love, his compassions, his mercies, because he's not dependent, his compassions, his mercies will never fail. They'll never fail. 
Only his loyal love, only his compassions, only his mercies are eternal. They have been, they have always been, they are, and they will always be. That's the nature of who God is. That's the nature of his love. Now, the rest of us, what we do is we do our best to remember birthdays, and we do our best to remember anniversaries, and we do our best to, you know, leave little love notes on pillows and to, you know, leave little love notes on book bags, and we do our best to, you know, plan a a romantic grilled rib dinner, you know, in the backyard, or we buy jewelry, or we pray, or we cheer, or we encourage with love and devotion. But we also fail. We don't do those things perfectly. We, we don't always pull it off. So, therefore, don't put your ultimate trust, your ultimate hope, your ultimate faith in any person or any pastor or any physician or any politician or any paleontologist, whoever it is in your life. Don't put your ultimate trust in people. Put your ultimate trust, your ultimate hope, your ultimate faith in the one who is self-existent, the one who is holy, 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 the one who was and is and is to come because his compassions and his mercy and his loyal love will never, ever fail. Never. How has God so glaringly proven this loyal love? Paul was writing to the folks in Rome and this is what he said in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because we're a good boy or a good girl, not because we say please and thank you, not because we say yes ma'am and no ma'am, not because we made good grades in school, not because we retired from a good job, not because our kids made good grades or our kids got good jobs, not because we have grandkids, not because we go to church, not because we give money to the church, not because we volunteer in the community. For none of those reasons did Christ die for us. In fact, the scripture says that while we were yet sinners, dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, with hearts full of rebellion against God and his ways, maybe unseen to us, but unmistakably seen by God. In that moment, while all of those things defined who we are, Jesus gave himself over to be crucified for the just and right penalty of your sin. That's that's the beauty of the gospel. That's how God has most shown his loyal love, his compassions, his mercies. About 60 years ago, Dr. Roy Fish was a a graduate student at a seminary. He was asked to speak in chapel one day, and I was reading this week about what he said in chapel that day. And what he was talking about was how his infant son almost died from a rare illness. And as he was sitting in the hospital, he said, I was, I was thinking to myself, if my son dies, which at that point it was highly likely, he said, if my son dies, what, what would I regret the most if he died? What would I regret the most if my son died? And this is what he said. I would regret that he died never knowing how much I loved him first thought that came into his head as he's sitting in the hospital in the horror of that moment 
was what would I regret? I would regret that he never knew how much I love him. And then Dr. Fish went on to say this. Surely God grieves because the lost who die without Christ never know how much he loves them. The loyal love of God never fails because his love is self-existence. His, his love is eternal, so it cannot fail because it's always been. His compassions and his mercies, they never fail because he is self-existent. His compassions, his mercies have always been, so they cannot Regardless of what you read on social media this afternoon, regardless of what the headlines are tomorrow, the compassions and the mercies and the loyal love of God will not, because they cannot, fail. They won't. Warren Wearsby said this, Every Christian we meet is a person in whom Jesus lives. Every lost soul we meet is a person for whom Jesus died. In both cases... We have candidates for God's mercy. His compassions never fail. His mercies never fail. Never. And so for the Christian, they are there. And for the non-Christian, they are there. So maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not a Christian. Either way, ask yourself this question. How do you know that God loves you. How do you know that God loves you? Jeremiah gives us an answer in verse 23. They are new every morning. God's mercies are new every morning. Because you're alive today, because you woke up this morning, because you're breathing right now, you are participating in the compassions and the mercies of God. God, the loyal love of God. No matter how bad yesterday was, this morning you got brand new mercy, brand new compassion, brand new love. And and not just mercy, but mercies. God ain't stingy. He, He gives more than one mercy every day, all day. His mercies are new. Mercies, compassions, Loyal love, steadfast love, undeserved love, love that we didn't ask for, love that we can't buy every morning. New hope, new mercy, new compassion, new love, new peace, new joy every morning. Every morning. I was reading part of an article this week about the Eskimo people. And it seems that there is an Eskimo belief that goes like this, that when they go to bed at night, they believe they actually die. That they, they die to the world. And that on the next morning when they wake up, they are resurrected, so to speak, and they are living a brand new life. And the article went on to say this, Therefore, no Eskimo is more than one day old. Man, got that fountain of youth thing figured out, right? King David said this, Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may last for the night, or or anything else. Fill it in with something besides weeping. 
anger, frustration, fear, apathy, discouragement, depression, put, put whatever you want to. It may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Why? Why? Because God's mercies, God's compassions, God's loyal love, they're brand new the next morning. Especially as a believer, but really as a human, every morning is, is kind of a new life. And for those who, who know Christ, it's a new life in Christ. We have these mercies from God, not just common mercies, but specific mercies. Grace and peace and hope and love and confidence and power and strength. We're waking up to a new life. But if we're honest, if there's one verse that we could pull out of the Bible, and if our hearts were honest with us, we, we would say we would fight against it. It's this verse from Jeremiah. I mean, really, we, we fight against this. We do. The sense of God's mercy being new every morning, it sounds good, but we tend to kind of work against it. There's a story told of someone talking to Winston Churchill. They were talking to Churchill about a, a problem that he had in his life, and the person said to Churchill, you know what, this trouble is just a blessing in disguise. And it is reported that Churchill's response was, well, it is very well disguised. Because <laughs> that's how it feels, right? I mean, in that moment, that blessing in disguise, it's a disguise because it sure doesn't feel like a blessing. Sometimes we do it on purpose. Sometimes we don't do it on purpose. But more often than not, we ignore the mercies of God. We ignore God's mercy today and, and while we ignore, what we're kind of doing is mumbling under our breath. And what kind of things do we mumble? Well, we mumble things like, well, why is my spouse still so difficult? You know, why are my kids still so rebellious? Why is this health problem still hanging around? Why is my job still so impossible? Why is school still so aggravating? Why are, are things in this country still full of, of fear and frustration and injustice? Why are things in this country still full of ignorance and, and apathy? Why are things in this country still full of arrogance and anger? We, we mumble things like that. And when we're mumbling, we're, we're missing. When we're mumbling, we're missing. I wanted some ice cream this week, which I want ice cream every day, so, I, you know, that just happens. And So I pulled out my phone, and I ordered some on my mobile app, and I was going to pull through the drive-thru of this little fast food joint. And I pulled in, and there was like 68 cars in the drive-thru. I was like, ugh. So I pulled over and walked inside to get my mobile order. And when I got in there, the assistant manager was at the register, and something wasn't working right, and she was having a time. And after just a few moments, she, she looked up and smiled at me. She said, hey, I'm so sorry. I'll be with you just as soon as I can. I was like, hey, it's no problem. I'm, I'm sorry that thing's not working for you. And she looked back up at me, and she said, like everything else in my life. I, I mean, that feels like almost every conversation I have these days, right? Whether it's the assistant manager at a fast food joint or, or whether it's any church member from any church or whether it's the guy that I look at in the mirror every morning who's aging and is not an Eskimo, he ain't one day old, okay? We, we seem to be in this conversation a lot. 
everything's going wrong, everything's bad, everything's not working. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're actually so consumed with the mercy that we feel like we're not getting in the moment or the perceived mercy that we feel like we didn't get yesterday or anxious about the mercy that we just have to have tomorrow or 10 years from now and what we do is we miss the mercy of the moment we miss the mercy of the morning we mumble and we miss and we don't need to miss it's not good for our hearts to miss The Old Testament of the Bible tells us about the Israelites. And the Israelites, they had free food every day called manna. Free food. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to plant it. They didn't have to harvest it. They didn't have to buy it. They didn't have to do anything. It was free food. But that free food wasn't enough for them. They, they wanted something different. They wanted more. Keith Green in his song, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt, parodies and mocks the Israelites just a little bit. He says, In the morning it's manna hotcakes. We snack on manna all day. And we sure had a winner last night for dinner, flaming manna souffle. Oh, manna waffles, manna burgers, manna bagels, filet of manna, manna patty, manna bread. We, we do sound like the Israelites sometimes, you know. Like, we, we don't really want the new mercy of the day. We don't really want the manna of the day. We want answers to all the questions from everything in the past that we don't understand. And we want answers for all the things in the future that we're not sure about, but we don't really just want the mercy of the day. We mumble and we miss. Here's the funny thing, though. The funny thing about this declaration from Jeremiah is it's only partially true. You see, God's mercies are not just new every morning. They're new every moment. Every moment. John Bloom said this, We observe creation as it changes and life as it progresses toward death, and we call it aging. But that's how it appears. In reality, everything is new every moment. God is not old. God is. So every moment is brand new. Not just every morning. Every moment is brand new, brand new because, because God is. He's not old. He is. And so all of his grace and all of his mercy is constantly at work goes on. Whatever you're doing, no matter how many times you have done something similar before, you are doing something new. Something that has never been done before and will never be done again. When I was putting this in my notes yesterday, it just crossed my mind that if I really think through that and own that, this is the first sermon I've ever preached. <laughs> and truthfully, it was a little helpful for me, you know? I was like, wow, it's almost like I've never done this before. That, that's the beauty of the mercy of God. And you know the one thing it protects us from? It protects us from pride and arrogance. Because, you know, sometimes like, <laughs> I've done this before, and, and, and we can miss out on God's mercy in that moment because, hey, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. 
But every moment is a new moment because of the grace and mercy of God. Bloom says one more thing. We always exist in the new and always do what's new. This is what's happening. It's, it's the grace and mercy of God working out in our lives every day. I've often talked about Vanitha Reisner. When she was an infant, she got polio. When she was an adult, her son Paul died after just two months of life. About six years after Paul's death, she was diagnosed with a disease that at some point, long before she reaches old age, she will have to have full-time care. And then six years after her diagnosis, her husband left her and the kids and later filed for divorce. Her, Her life has been marked with so many different kinds of pain. Two years ago, she woke up one morning and her physical pain was so bad that she cried out to the Lord, I cannot live like this for the rest of my life. I just can't. Ever had a moment like that? Ever had a moment where you you felt that way? Where you cried out maybe to God in, in, in the same way? She said she sat still after her lament and she said it was if the Lord was saying to her, I'm not asking you to live like this for the rest of your life. I'm just asking you to live like this for the rest of today. And this is what she said. Immediately an unmistakable sense of peace settled over me. My situation was unchanged, but I felt strangely different. Today was a finite period that I could focus on. Today seemed doable. Today was much less frightening than the rest of my life. And then she said this, which is true for all of us. Pain, whether physical or emotional or spiritual, has a way of capturing my attention. So what are we going to do when our attention is captured? She says this, I can either focus that attention on myself and sink into despair, or I can direct my thoughts to Jesus and ask him for grace. That moment-by-moment dialogue with God changes How does it change me? She tells us. Some days God will do far more abundantly than all I can ask or imagine. And other days, he will sustain me in the storm. But every day, he will provide all that I need. All that I need. All all that we need. He will provide all that we need. We don't live in the world of need. We live in the world of want. And just to be gracious to us, I think this year that sin of want has increased because of our circumstances. We live with the demands of what we want, not what we need. And when we live in the demands of what we want, whether it's from politicians, government, teachers, schools, pastors, spouses, kids, employers, whatever it may be, when we live in the world of want, we will mutter, we will mumble, and we will miss mercy. But there is so much mercy for us to have each and every day. My mom, a few weeks ago, had a pretty major stroke, and through a miraculous surgery, 
and some time in ICU, some time in the hospital and time in rehab hospital. We got her home this past Wednesday. My dad, the night before, Tuesday night, did something that to my knowledge he has never done in 85 years. He drove to Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Dollar something, and he got a piece of poster board. And he went home and he made my mom a homemade sign. He wanted her to have something to see. And so with orange and purple markers and some little tiger paw stamps all over the thing, he made my mom a very simple sign that just said, Welcome home. Welcome home. And he stuck it up in the carport so that when she got up, the first thing that she would see would be that sign. Listen. Through the incarnation, through the crucifixion, through the resurrection, through the ascension of Jesus, God pulled out his eternal markers and he made a sign for believers and for non-believers. The sign is an invitation, an invitation to never forget, to always remember that his never-failing, never-ending mercies are brand new every morning and every moment. So if you are not a Christian and tomorrow never comes, have you accepted the invitation from God to repent, to come to Jesus and to have entrance into the only home that lasts forever? And if you're a Christian, then are you responding to the invitation? Because it never stops. God, every single day, in every moment of your life, from the booth in the restaurant, to the voting booth, to your table at home, to your cubicle at work, wherever you are, the invitation never stops calling us back to the power of the gospel, calling us back to the hope of our salvation. The invitation from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords never stops saying to you, dear Christian, welcome home. Every morning, every moment, welcome home. Welcome home.